Well, hello again. We are continuing and actually wrapping up a series that we started three weeks ago called Rethink Christmas. And we've been talking about how to set our minds and really our lives on the things that matter the most this time of year. Uh, But what's interesting, this time of year brings all sorts of things which tend to kind of cause us to miss what this season is about. Uh, Times are busier. There's a lot more things going on. Uh, We tend to get tired because of all the things that are going on. And we can kind of just go through the motions of, of what this season brings. And so this idea of rethink Christmas is how can we stop, how can we pause to actually think about the right things? And we started the series talking about worshiping fully, this idea of stopping and realizing that the greatest gift ever given humans was the gift of Jesus. And everyone who encountered Jesus when he was born, they, they stopped to worship. There was this pause that they they exhibited. There's this sense of everything stopped and slowed down to, to remember and to focus. And so that's an encouragement to us. And then last week we talked about how can we not only worship fully, but also how can we spend less, and not just money, but how can we spend less time worrying about the things that don't matter? And how can we spend less time thinking about what everyone thinks about us and maybe getting into that fear of what others think? And it's easy to do this time of year as well. And then today, we're going to kind of shift gears. So we've talked about worship fully, spend less, and then now it's giving more. How can we give more uh, to those around us? But I I just want to get real for a little bit and talk about, have you ever been given a gift that you didn't want? Have you? Like where you kind of were really disappointed. That happened to me in 1991. And, you know, I may need to see someone about this, but in 1991, I wanted the Nintendo, first generation, first edition Nintendo. Remember those? We had to blow in the cartridge for it to work. Remember? I wanted one of those so bad. And my friends have gotten them like in the late 80s. And I was like, you know, it's the 90s, it's time. And I thought it was was coming like this Christmas in 1991, I thought it was coming and I was ready. And... The package that I had, it was the last package. Like, and usually my parents, they always went like from like least to greatest. So you knew like if you were disappointed in the beginning, hope was coming. You know, like <laughs> you'd get to the big one. And so it was like a bigger box. And I thought, well, okay, my mom's, she's kind of a ninja. You know, she wraps things so I have no idea. And so I was kind of, wow, it's a little bigger than I thought. But, you know, mom's at work. And so I opened it and it was a leather jacket. Not only was it a leather jacket, it was like a multicolored American USA leather jacket. Now you're like, well, that's good. You know, your parents pay charge. Well, I was living in England at the time. Like, and I went to a British school. It wasn't quite the gift that, that, that I, was, I was hoping for. And I remember at that time, I opened the box and I literally just kind of thought, like, Christmas is over. Like, you know, there's always disappointment once you're, you, you, unwrap your gifts, but then you, you get to play with your gifts. But how do you play with a leather jacket? Now, I will say, like, my parents are going to come, and you just don't look at them with, like, disdain. Like, <laughs> the next year I got it. Not a leather jacket. I got the Nintendo. And so all was right with the world. But at that time, I remember just that feeling of being disappointed, and I had to get over that. And so I, I just decided... I think all of us, you know, you know, have this experience where we, we long for something that we're going to get from somebody and maybe it, it just doesn't kind of pan out or maybe there's just 
the worst gifts that, that we've been given. So I decided to do a search, like the worst Christmas gifts ever. And like some of these may be made up, but even if they are, it's pretty genius for the people that made them. Here, here's one that, that I saw. This is a, a dream griddle. <laughs> I can hardly get this out. This is a dream griddle alarm clock. So here, here's the thinking. You put raw eggs on that when you go to bed. <laughs> Which that in itself is terrible. But you know, you put it <laughs> wake and bake. It's not just the it's not just the dream griddle, it's the wake and bake. You put raw eggs on there overnight and you hope they stay okay. Put a little salt on there. And then when it's time, the, the griddle actually heats up and it begins cooking your food. Some of you guys are gonna search for this today. I know it. So I thought that was pretty bad. Now, in lieu of, of child dedication, I thought this was pretty interesting for kids. Toddler tamers. You don't need an awe out there. Come on, guys. It's like, parents, you know you've thought about this. Leashless ankle weight system. I love how it's a system. Like, it's not just weights. It's like a system. Like, you put them on, you watch them, and they can't move. System worked. Toddler tamers. Five pounds, put the weight in weight right here. I love that. I mean, I don't love it like I'm gonna buy it. Stop, you know, don't call CPS, but I thought it was fascinating. But if you're a toddler, worst gift ever. Worst gift ever. And then who, for, who can forget, this is from one of my favorite movies, right? Right? We've, we've, all, we've all had that. Now, the reason I bring this up is we could all just kind of share and just, relive all of our worst memories. That doesn't actually make for a great Sunday, you know? But there's this, this feeling that, that we have that's real. And, and in fact, there's been a lot of studies done on the amount of money spent on gifts that nobody wants. In fact, Finder, they, they had this research in 2018, 56% of adults admit to getting an unwanted gift in a year. And 56% of adults, that's $13 billion dollars. If you look at like the average cost of what a gift might be, they did all the research and it's like $13 billion in unwanted Christmas gifts. And all of you guys know that. You get that gift each year that you're like thinking I'll re-gift it next year. You know, we all have that place in the closet, right? Well, everyone in America and the world, if they have that, it adds up to a lot of money. And so I think there's the picture of the, the article up here. And you can see percentages there. Leading is clothing and accessories, household items, cosmetics and fragrances, food and drink. And then they even did research on the people that give like the worst gifts. Like, who is it? It's friends. So all you family, like you're in second place. You give the second worst, but the worst are friends. They, they tend to just miss the mark. So there, there's gifts that we get that are not great. Then there's, there's gifts that we get that are incomplete. Now, if, if you're a, it's probably like a boy and you've ever like wanted a remote control car, like, these things are amazing. But every remote control car needs, like, 10,000 batteries. And I had some that kind of looked like this, and I had bigger ones. And, and, you know, you got the, the batteries in the car, and then you got the batteries in the remote itself. And that's the worst type of gift if you get this awesome gift, but then you don't have the batteries for it to actually work. Then I saw this on a battery pack, which I thought was fascinating. Power cell, gift not included. Like, Thank you for the clarification. 
But so then, then there's batteries that you have, but it just doesn't come with a gift. And so you put those together and you, you actually have something you, you can use. Again, we, we could spend all the time talking about this, but I just want to kind of, kind of dig down a little bit from that. And superficially, we could talk about gifts. We could talk about what we've been given. We could talk about disappointment. But I think beyond the surface there, if we were to kind of go a little bit deeper, there's other things that we have going on this time of year as well. There's other things going on in our lives too, which represent there's things that we long for that we don't have. There's things that we want that we've never received. There's emptiness that we feel that we don't talk about, but we experience it. There's disillusionment, there's disappointment, there's discouragement, there's things that we all face. And oftentimes at Christmas, it kind of just boils, boils, heats up, and we tend to feel more alone. We tend to feel more sad. And all of these things kind of go on. And again, nobody talks about it because we want to put on a happy face. But I want to tell you that the reason we're here as a church is to tell everybody, everyone that we encounter, that the emptiness that we feel, that the loss that we feel, the discouragement that we feel, like that is not how God intended us to just exist. There is more to this life. And to experience the more, you actually have to look at the whole reason we celebrate Christmas, and that's Jesus. The more found in this life is found in the person of Jesus. And so for the rest of our time, I want to focus specifically on some scriptures that talk about him coming to earth and how him coming to earth makes a difference for the things that we all long for that may not have. And so what we find is that God gave us himself completely in the birth of Jesus Christ. He gave himself completely. He did not hold back. He didn't give us something that we didn't want. He didn't give us something incomplete. He gave us himself completely in the person of Jesus. What that means is the almighty God, the powerful God, the gracious God, the merciful God gave us himself and he came to earth so we may know him and have a relationship with him and all the things that we battle and struggle with, we can actually give over to him and he can complete what we've been longing for. And I wanna share some scriptures in John that, that describes this. And it says this, in the beginning was the word. Now the word there with the capital W is actually referring to Jesus. And I'm gonna explain why. But in the beginning was the word. So in the beginning was Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the reason that Jesus is described as the word there is because his coming, his working, his teaching, the work that he did to die on the cross, the work that he did to rise again from the dead, it's the final and decisive message of God. God spoke through Jesus. His word, the completion of his will, the message that God wants to send the world is found in Jesus. And that's why he's described as the word. He's this message that God wants to give, this proclamation that he wants to send, this purpose and plans, the message, it's, it's Jesus. Now in this, you see what they call in church circles like the Trinity. The beginning of this, there's this God relationship and then there's Jesus and we could spend weeks and weeks trying to describe what the, the Trinity is, but here's a, a simple definition. The Trinity, there is one God who has eternally existed as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you've ever wondered why people pray, and sometimes we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
it's represented those three distinct persons of the Godhead, the triune God. And they pray for, you know, in each of those. And in this first John 1, 1, in the beginning, it represents the beginning of the scripture. In Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created. And then in John 1, in the beginning was the word. So there's a sense of which God has always existed and Jesus has always existed. And the third part, which you find in verse 32 of this chapter, is the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, actually, his role is when you decide to follow Jesus and you give your life to him and you commit yourself to him, the Holy Spirit actually comes and leads you. He like lives inside of you. He's guiding you forward. And so God is the father and then there's the son who came and dwelled with us and there's the spirit who guides us forward. And this wasn't haphazard or spontaneous. This is something that has been part of God's plan since the beginning. It's eternal. In the beginning, there was God. In the beginning, there was Jesus. In the beginning, there was his spirit. And when you decide to give your life over to God, you kind of tap into this eternal hope that's always existed. And if you look back at John 1, I wanna unpack this a little bit. So you see the beginning, he was with God. All things were made through him and nothing was made without him. It flows out of him, just like it flows out of God, just like it flows out of the spirit. Now I wanna pay attention to this last part. In him was what? Life. And the life was the light of men. So this is where it gets into kind of a little bit of that underneath the surface. I believe that so many of us battle the darkness in our life, the darkness from direction, not sure where to go, not sure how to get there, and then the light of shame or the darkness of shame of that feeling of guilt, the feeling like we can't get ahead, the feeling of just knocking ourselves against the wall. There's this darkness that all of us experience. Again, we, we feel it, we know it, but we don't talk about it. And what the scripture is saying is like for all of us, that this is the reality, Jesus came to shine the light so that those in darkness don't have to live in darkness anymore. There's nothing like the light when you're in the dark. And so in him was light and in him was life, the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, the last part there, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this again is the promise that when Jesus came, He came with this life and he came with this light and nothing in the world, nothing from humans' hands, nothing in all creation can stop what God did through Jesus. Nothing can overcome it. Nothing can stand against it. Nothing can maneuver around it. Nothing can get above it, below it. There's a sense of which God in his plan and in his purpose, he's brought light to the world and nothing can stand against it. The reason this is important is when you talk about giving your life to something, we all rely on something. We all stand on a foundation. It could be our heritage, how our parents raised us. It could be our understanding of right or wrong. It could be our goals. It could be our career. It could be our success. We all stand on something. But as we stand on the things of our own effort, we know that our own effort only gets us so far. And we all know that our own foundation of our own self-will it has cracks in it because we mess up, we're not perfect. And so what the scripture is saying is like, when you tap into the eternal God, full of hope, full of life, full of light, there's no cracks on that foundation because it's not reliant on me and it's not reliant on you. It's reliant on the eternal God. Then in verse 14, we see what happened from that. 
It says, and the word became flesh. The word again, Jesus, he became flesh. He was always God, and then he became a man. Now, here's what's crazy about the Trinity. When Jesus came as a man, he was fully God, and he was fully man. Now, Alex, how can that be? I have no idea. I don't know how that's possible, because I'm fully man. I can't even comprehend that. But he did not stop becoming God when he became man. He was both fully at the same time. And he came in flesh and he dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. One theologian put it this way, remember what he was, or sorry, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. So he remained as God, but he became what he wasn't before, a man. And he was both at the same time. And you can see the highlights, this first part, he became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what people call the incarnation. You ever heard that word? Incarnation, it means that that God through Jesus came and he dwelled and he was here in space, in time, just like we are. And that happened a couple thousand years ago. And then it goes on, glory as of the only son from the, the father, the eternal God, the creator took on flesh again. And then the last part, full of grace and truth. Now, I love that. This, again, speaks to what we need. How many of you would say you need more grace in your life? I know I would, right? I need more grace I, because I mess up. I need more grace because I make the wrong decisions. I need more grace because I say the wrong things. I need more grace. Because I keep doing the same things over again, I need more grace. I think we'd all agree we need more grace because we're human. And this is where that fully God and fully human comes because he's full of grace and truth. There was no lack of grace and there's no lack of truth. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think about grace and truth, I want more grace, but sometimes I don't want more truth, right? Because truth now reveals the truth. Our motives, our deeds, our attitude, truth cuts through to who we are. Truth reveals what we do. Talk about light. Where the light shines, you start to see. And there's just things we don't want people to see. So it's interesting. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Now, this is not to cause us to run and hide because, again, we can't hide because then we'd be in darkness. But it actually causes us to realize that not only does God through Jesus give us the grace we need, he gives us the truth so we know where to go. Because I think all of us would admit we need direction. We need purpose. We need to know where our life is headed. And so in the person of Jesus, when I say he gave completely of himself, he gave us completely what we need, full of grace and full of truth. I don't know if you guys have ever done puzzles. I hate puzzles. I mean, if you want to get that for me for Christmas, after what I've said today, now you're nervous. But I hate puzzles because every time I do a puzzle, first off, I only want to do the edges, and I want you just to give them to me. Second, there's always missing pieces. And so I already know that it's going to be missing, so I won't do it. You guys are just, this is real talk right now. You guys are getting to know me a little bit. But in a puzzle, there's always these missing things, and it begins to look like this, and I'm like, forget it. I don't have the patience for this. But with with Jesus, there's no missing piece. 
We don't have to wait for something to happen that hasn't happened. And that's why it's so important at Christmas to look back because you look back and you say, the completion of what I need is already here. The grace and truth that I need has come. I don't have to wait. What I have to do is I have to respond. And so we, we shift gears to people that, that respond. And then John 1.15, I'm gonna go through here real, real quick. It says, John bore witness about him. Now, John, this isn't the writer. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist had this ministry that was before Jesus, but he was born about six months before Jesus. And notice what he says. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. You ever read a verse like that and you're like, do I just read that again or do I just keep going? That happens to me a lot. Or you think, did I just, did I get a typo on this one? You know, like, does it, but what he's saying is, he who comes after me, he who was born after me, him whose ministry was, was after me, he ranks before me. There's a priority. The reason he ranks before me is because he was before me. When was he? He was forever. In the beginning, the word. So again, it's pointing to the eternal richness of who God is came to this earth. That just causes me to pause. The eternal richness of who God has came to this earth. And then it gets better in verses 16 and 17. It says, for from his fullness, we have all received. Now, I just wanna stop there. For from what? All of his what? Fullness. There was nothing lacking in Jesus. He is not just a moral teacher, a good man, a good guide. He is God. There is nothing lacking. That's why we know he's God, because God is the only one who nothing is lacking. Everyone else, something is lacking except for him. This is the Christian view of what the Bible says and of who God is. For from his fullness, we have all received. And so this is that picture of God. God in his love, in his mercy, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, his completeness, everything he is, we have received. So for us to receive it, it means that it's been given. And so you see the generosity of God. He's given us Jesus. And then notice the last part, grace upon grace. This is this overflowing, endless supply, not just grace and truth, but grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, which means in Jesus, if you sin, his grace covers that sin. Okay, that, that, that thing that you've messed up, that fracture that you've caused, that problem, that conflict, his grace covers that, and you can be forgiven. And you say, well, what, what if I mess up again? His grace covers that. But what if I mess up again? We could do this all day. His grace covers that because it's grace upon grace. In the fullness of that grace, we have received. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The idea for the law was the moral code. I think we all know when we've messed up, right? We may not want to admit it, but we know when we've been harsh with somebody. We know when we've lied, when we've been dishonest, when we've hidden, when we've done something we know we shouldn't have done. We all know that. That's because we're actually made in the image of God. Without being made in the image of God, there would be no morals. Now, people want to say there's no morality, but everyone knows there's morality, and so we just live this kind of superficial life. 
But we all know in our conscience when we've messed up. And we live with that. That's because we're creating his image, but there's also because it's, there's a law. There is right or wrong. And when we blow past it, we're kind of fractured on the inside. We may say one thing, but deep down, we have problems because we mess up and we choose wrong. And so for the, from the law, from being created in this image, we, we understand morals. The good news is, but the grace and the truth, they, they came through Jesus. So we all know what's right or wrong. But for the forgiveness when we do wrong comes through Jesus. It doesn't come through the law. Just knowing right or wrong is actually not the goal of your life. Many people know right or wrong. It's what do you do with your wrong? What do you do when you mess up? You can't earn God's favor. You can't work harder to be better because you've still messed up. So we know we've done wrong, but it's only the grace that comes through Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins. So we all can feel overwhelmed and lost. We make bad decisions. We feel empty. We battle guilt, shame, and disappointment. How many of you guys just feel discouraged? Like, don't raise your hands, you know. I'm discouraged. Hey, everyone. You know, like, that discourages you more, right? But discouragement is like a real thing that I think most of us deal with. Just that feeling like we should be further along. We should be doing what we're not. Just that overwhelming sense of we're not who we thought we would be. That is crippling. And disappointment that comes with that and guilt and shame. This is what people, like they are walking with the weight of this on their life and their knees are starting to buckle and their bones are starting to crack because we cannot bear that weight. That's not the life that God intended. And so we need God to forgive us. And the only way God can forgive us is if we turn to him and ask for it. And this is the difference that the incarnation made. God sent his son to dwell with us and we can turn to him and say, I want to follow him. He came here. He rescued us. He took the initiative. He stepped into history. He stepped into humanity and he sent his son. And we can respond to that. And so I want to encourage anyone here today, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, and there's some of this being like, oh, this, this is church talk. You can put it in this category. But I want to tell you, real life, the fullness of life, and the fullness of light cannot be found anywhere else except through Jesus. Because I've experienced that in my life. I know many people have experienced it in their life. And more importantly, I know because that's what the scriptures say. He came, and he came in fullness, full of grace and full of truth. He has the truth to direct your life, to lead your life, to show you what's really important. And then he gives you the grace when you mess up. And that's what we need. We need direction. And then we need grace. And we need direction. And then we need grace. And so if you've never decided to follow Jesus, you can do that. You can make a decision. Just like God made a decision to send Jesus in space and time, you can make a decision space and time to decide to follow him. What that means is like, I don't want to keep living life my own way. I don't want to keep being my own measure of success. I don't want to keep trying to guess I'm being good enough. It means that I will follow Jesus. I will surrender my life and my will to him. And he will lead me. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
And so if you've never given your, your life to him and surrendered, that's what Christmas is about. God sent Jesus so we can do that. And so if you've never done that, there's a place on your connection card. It says, contact me about following Jesus. The reason we put that is, it is more than just saying, I want to follow Jesus. There's actually this kind of picture of what that means. But at the same time, the scriptures say, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, then you, you will be saved. So that confession is Lord, is like he's my boss. If you, if you say, I don't wanna keep leading my life, I don't wanna keep going my own direction, I wanna turn around and I wanna go God's way, that's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna face problems. It doesn't mean that your, your life's still gonna be messed up because we still sin. That's why we need the fullness of his grace and the fullness of his truth. But what it does mean is that he leads you and he leads you back to the Father. And that is the place where real life and real purpose is found. And so if you've never done that, you can make that decision today. The reason I want to share that is the next, the last part of the message is, how do you give the gift of grace to others? Well, here's the thing. You can't give the gift of grace to others if you've not received the gift of grace from Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So I want to start with that because I don't want to just give all these things for you to do, but you not have a picture of how to do it. So the how is you decide to follow Jesus. And then the what is you give this gift of grace to others. Does that make sense? You have to turn to God first, and in his fullness we can receive. And then once we've received, we can extend it to others. And so I want to just shift gears. Like, How can we become people who give more? Not gifts necessarily, but how can we give more grace? How can we be those people who give more grace to others? Christmas is actually more meaningful when we give more of ourselves to others. And in fact, you see this all over the country, all over the world. Christmas is a time when most people are willing to consider how can I give back, right? It's Christmas. Doesn't you hear that a lot? Like, it's Christmas. What does that mean? Well, I think it taps into this sense of it's Christmas. There's something to Christmas that enables us to kind of get into this mode, this attitude, this difference. But it's not just in this like Christmas magic. It's actually back to the beginning. God came here because he came here. We can make a difference. And so this is for for you who decided to follow Jesus, this is what God wants to do through your life. I hope this encourages you and challenges you. It means that you can make a difference to people that desperately need what we're talking about. I saw this article, which I thought was funny. This was kind of satire to cause a reaction. Wise men actually just sent gifts using free prime shipping. Scholars now believe. (laughs) I love prime. I mean, I love it, but you know what? The point of this is saying, like, you can't just mail it in. The wise men, it took them deep cost and sacrifice to travel to give their gifts to Jesus. And for us as followers of Christ, we can't mail it in either. We actually have to be engaged with those around us to bring the light, to bring the life, to bring the grace, and to bring the truth. We can't mail it in. We have to get in the trenches with people. Alan Hirsch said this, He's a Christian thing. He said, Jesus moved into our neighborhood 
in an act of humble love, the likes of which the world has never known. Humble because he was God. And the likes of because he was full of love that no one had ever known. And so here's some gifts of grace to give uh, this Christmas. Uh, The first thing is this. You can give patience with gracious speech. Now, I know for some of you, this is how I think. It's like, okay, what do I need to do? Gifts of grace, and, you know, we want to get ready. What do I need to do? And then it's like patience, not that, right? Patience is actually a very hard gift to give. And gracious speech, that's even harder. But that's a gift of grace that comes right from Jesus, patience with gracious speech. This is what Ephesians 4, and I'm going to move through this quickly to kind of give you an overhead snapshot. Ephesians 4 says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What does it give? It gives grace. What gives grace? Words that build. And what does that mean? The kind of words we can't use, words that tear down. Wait, what? Let no corrupting talk. Basically, let, let nothing that doesn't build someone up come out. My mouth is a trap door. I open it. I don't know what's going to come out. And a lot of times, it's not going to build people. And so what what the scriptures are saying is like, you got to be very careful when you open your mouth. And then you got to be careful to maybe keep it closed. Because we want our words to, to build and so what this means is, you know, with people, what, what do they need and then how can I help? And then how can I use words to, to meet them where they're at? Proverbs 15.1, this is kind of, let this be your, your Christmas gathering party family thing. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. People are gonna say things to you to get a reaction out of you. Do people do that in your life? Yes, and they love you, but they also love to see the sparks fly. So they're setting you up. You just don't know it. But a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer is like, oh, really? That's interesting. And in your head is, God help that trap door to stay closed because I want to open it and unleash fury. Interesting. Soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Has somebody ever said something to you and you reacted and then their reaction causes a reaction and then their reaction caught, and before you know it, you have this cosmic explosion of family fun, right? We all know that. This happens all the time. But gift of grace, patience with, with gracious speech. The second thing is a good attitude. An attitude, sometimes it's like, you need to choose a good attitude. We say that to our kids sometimes. You need to choose a good attitude. You gotta have a good attitude. And it's like, smile? Like, what what does that even mean? Fake it? Well, actually, an attitude is a mental angle of approach to someone or something. So your attitude is the position you put yourself in. It's how you see it. But it's not just how you see the situation. It's how you see yourself. And so a good attitude is, who am I in this situation and what's the role that I play? Meaning, is this all about me and getting what I want? Most of the time we enter a situation, we enter a room and we're thinking all about me, right? I know I do. But that's actually a bad attitude because that's not the right approach. 
if we enter a room and it's all about me, then now we've put people in this, this role to, to serve us, to do what we want. And that usually isn't gracious. Philippians 2, this goes back to Jesus. Philippians 2, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So that points, in the beginning was God, and then God came and dwelt with us. And then Philippians describes this, his dwelling with us was the the biggest act of humility ever, because God came down. And so when we think about entering a room and it being all about us, the scriptures say, look at God who sent his son so that we could be saved and humbled himself for us. He looked to others' interests, and therefore, we can too. This time of year, and any time of year, we can get cynical. Any cynical people out there? You didn't want to answer. (laughs) Terrible question. I'm just kidding. Here we go again. Somebody comes around, and you're already saying, oh, here we go again. You ever do that when people come to you? Again, we don't talk about it. We have categories for people all the time. People we want to talk to, people we don't, people we don't want to have even see us. We get cynical, assume the worst, expect the worst. Jesus came so we could choose humility. We don't need to write people off. We can listen to people. We can meet them where we're at. That's, that's that good attitude. How can I help them? So that's that position we take. And then number three and four, this is the action. So a good attitude is the position. How do I set myself up to do what's needed? And the action is kindness that meets needs. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. That is a gift of grace, being kind. We learn this at an early age, be kind. Kindness is you serve others by meeting practical needs. So for you, this time of year, one way you're kind is you should do the dishes. (laughs) Not those. You do the laundry, you pick up when it's not yours. You look ahead, you help people with something they've not even known they need help with. That's kindness. You affirm, you encourage, that's kindness. You don't wait for people to be at their wits end. You're kind before that. Now tenderhearted, it's about to get real, okay? This is just a little warning. Tenderhearted. The original language here, it's written in Greek. It's, it's not detached, but engaged emotionally. It's so easy to check out. You want to know why? It's a rectangular device in your pocket called a phone. I was thinking about this in my own life. One of the reasons I check out the most is because of my phone. So what we're going to do, I'm going to pull up a trash can, and we're all going to throw them away. <laughs> We'd be on the news. You guys would string me up. But our, our, our phones are the ultimate checkout machine. They are. And here's the thing. I'm not going to, don't feel guilty about this, because I do it too. So I'm speaking to myself as much as I am you. But there's something about this that I, I'm really concerned about in my own life. I check out for my kids most of the time because of my phone. I check out for my wife because of my phone. I check out of life 
because of my phone. It's a checkout machine. And it actually causes division in relationships. And it's not tenderhearted. You're not here. You're there. You're with your phone. And you're missing the people that are actually present. So to being tenderhearted is this idea of, I'm going to be present with you. That's a gift of grace. You're here. I'm here. Let's be present together. Doesn't that sound crazy? That almost sounds like, what's he talking about? That's actually called relationships. But, you know, you go out to eat now, and everyone's on their phone. Everyone's checked out. Now, there's some of you like, I don't. Right? You know, you already thought, I don't do that. That's right. Everyone else does so easy, we, we, we check out. And so tender, it's you're here, so am I. Let's be present together. Let's talk to each other. Let's listen to each other. That's what it means to be tenderhearted. So here, here's something you can do as a gift of grace. Consider putting your phones away for certain times during the day. My wife and I, we had this conversation this past week because I, I was going through this and I was convicted, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not as tenderhearted as I could be because of my choices. And so we need to carve out some time at our house where this is like a no checkout machine time. We don't enter in to this thing that distracts us. Why? Not to get legalistic, you know, and follow just, we gotta do, you know, but to be present, to be tenderhearted, to give the gift of grace. And the last thing, and I'm out of time here, is the gift of grace is we can give forgiveness like Jesus gives. Again, the way we give forgiveness is because we've been forgiven. The way we give grace is because we've been given grace. The way we give kindness is because through Jesus, God was kind to us. All of these things stem from what we've been given. And Ephesians 4.32 is the last part, that verse I just read. It says, so be tenderhearted, be kind, and then forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This last, that this last gift of grace is one of those things that it, it can only apply to you for what you, is going on in your life. But if there's some people in your life that you are holding on to some bitterness for, grace is clogged up. It is not getting through. Bitterness just kinks that. And it stops. Forgiveness, it just opens that up so grace can flow out of you. And so I encourage you, if there's some people in your life that you have bitterness towards, that you're angry with, one of the first steps you can take to get on this gift of grace is you forgive them before God for what they've done to you. And I don't say that lightly, and I say that not knowing all the things that you've dealt with in your life. Jesus came full of grace and truth to forgive you. And when you receive that forgiveness, you can extend that to others. And I believe you can't unless you've received that forgiveness from him. And so I want to just follow up just with some final next steps as we close out. And each week we do this. And if you've been following along on your handout, uh, it's there on the bottom, but we call these next steps. And we want to be a church. We just don't learn more, but we want to do more. We just don't want to kind of get ideas, but we want to put ideas into action. So these next steps are action steps for, for each of us. And so if you're a part of Ridgeview, you could take one. If you're not a part of Ridgeview, you could take one. Um, but here's the first thing, and I already gave it, but the first one is if, if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, 
you know, you can circle that part on the connection card, which I alerted to earlier. The second step is this, give this gift of grace. It could be the patient and gracious speech, the gracious attitude, uh, kindness, or forgiveness. So you could just write that on that connection card. What I do is each week when you take an accept, I pray for you. I just ask God to help you as you take that. And so if there's just one of these gifts of grace or there's this, just something in you you want to consider following Jesus, I'll pray and I'll follow up with you. And then the, the next, next step is to attend next week's Christmas service and invite someone. And you can just write their name. If you write their name, I'll pray for them as well. And so I want to invite all of you back. Next week's going to be a great celebration. It's great not because of what we're doing. It's great because of Jesus. Everything we've talked about. We're going to celebrate grace. We're going to celebrate the light. We're going to celebrate the life. We're going to celebrate the truth of Jesus. So we want you to come back. We're going to have like a party. Kids are going to be all in here. It's going to be fun. And so think through people you can invite because they're looking for something. They just don't know where to find it. And so invite them. This may be what they've been looking for. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to receive our offering. And you can drop that completed connection card in there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just this day where we can stop and pause and focus on the greatest gift that we've been given, your son. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fullness that we've received. Thank you for the grace and the truth and the light and the life found in him. God, I pray if there's anyone here that's been running from something or to something and just feels like they're empty, God, will you cause them to consider you and to take steps to follow you? I pray for us as we interact with people that we can give gifts of grace to them, to extend the grace that we've been given to others so that they may experience a taste of you. We need your help. We mess up. We miss the mark. God, give us your grace even as we extend that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.